0: Welcome to MQL.FM, the marketing operations podcast. Joining me in this episode is Paul Schreiner, chief evangelist and co founder of Audience Point, an email send time optimization company. Let's start with a little bit of an intro. So, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you do and who Audience Points are?
1: Yeah. You're right in saying audience points, you know, anytime we can pluralize things. (laughs) Uh, So Paul Schreiner, one of the founders at audience point, and and sort of my background is, I want to say it's a little bit being an artist. You know, I got my degree in fine arts from Seattle Pacific, but I was also, this is also what, 93 to 97. And so I was also really into the web early and so became really, really comfortable programming. and. Well, you know, I got a double major in psychology and graphic design. I think that's important here, too. So anyway, what I found was freelance programming paid a lot more than freelance graphic design. <laughs> and there was not a lot of programmers and there was a lot of graphic designers. And I was good at design. I was not great, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so it was really easy to kind of go, well, I'm going to gravitate towards the, the bigger paycheck because, you know, bills to pay, all the things. So, you know, fast forward through lots of career, different starts and stops and changes and all that, teaching at the community college, teaching programming, like, how is that a good idea, right? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, not, not formally trained, just kind of, this is fun. So, you know, I think all good, all good products come out of sort of real pain, right? Like, rarely is someone going, I've got an idea. Uh, I bet I could help this industry. I don't know anything about you know oh, I mean
0: people have plenty of those ideas, just never good ones. <laughs> right. right.
1: <laughs> and so I was on staff with Young Life, which is a, a Christian outreach to high school students. I was in a little town in Washington State called Port Townsend. It's a wooden boat building community. It is there's a barter economy. I mean, is where it's where hippies go to be, right? And, and, yeah. and loved it, right? Love, love, loved it. The other things that are important about this is it is rural poverty. It's the least church county in the United States. And so those two things together, when you're trying to raise a budget from that for Christian outreach, it's, it's difficult. So I started reaching out to folks via email. And this is before you know email was what it is today. This was 2002, 2003, 2004. So it's early, early, early on. What I noticed was I'd send out these blast emails through my Gmail account or whatever account I was using at the time. I was getting responses. This is fantastic and, and you know, well-written articles, well-written stuff, people were engaging and heartstrings were being pulled and people were wanting to give. Fast forward, I sent an email out to my now business partner. I said, hey, will you give? And he said, send me an email. I said I did, because I know the game. So I said, I did. I sent it last night at 11 o'clock. And he's like, let me check. 11 o'clock? I don't see it. Well, that's because you're on East Coast time and I'm on Pacific time. You know, you might want to look at 2 o'clock. And he says, you sent me an email at 2 a.m.? I said, no. I sent you an email at 11 o'clock. You received (laughs) it at 2 a.m. time zones, man. He's like, you can't do this. You can't send an email out at 2 o'clock in the morning and expect people to read it. It's such
0: an American problem to have. It's just not something that would ever be an issue in the uk
1: well i mean I, you're not wrong <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but i guess it's that pain that gives that creates an idea right
1: right and that's exactly what it was and he was like i don't know what to tell you you need to fix this like you're smart you're a programmer do something and i was like oh, oh. so <laughs> i it, you know I, I i take some time and it takes a couple days Uh, But stuck on me, like I just can't get over this, and so it hits me. It's like, oh well, if a you know if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, does it make a sound? And you know the answer is yes. But how do we observe that tree falling when you're dealing with digital footprints, right? And so I started tracking the RSS feeds for people. Again, I wasn't sending pixels out. I just, how do I know when people are sitting at their computer? I made the argument that people are checking Facebook at the same time they're, they're uh, checking email. And there's, this is before uh, the open graph with Facebook. This was just like the Wild West a bit, right? <laughs> so I started reading in people's RSS feeds and I got really excited. I was like, hey, Andy, you got to see this thing. And he's like, what is it? And I was like, well, I'm sort of guessing when people are going to be online. And I was like, watch this. So I sent out an email. He's like, that's amazing. And, uh, you know, there's lots to the story, but the story goes, ran into someone who wanted to give, wrote a check for $5,000 and was blown away by the tech. And I was like, huh. And he's like, this is a business. He came from, you know, a venture capital background. And that was the beginning, right? It was like, how do we scale this up to enterprise? How do we help people? And, And honestly, it started with, how do we help people? How do we help people helping others? Because that's and so that's one of those sort of core values that's always tracked audience point as a whole, right? Yes, we have technology that helps people to better communicate, but, you know, it can be used for good or for evil. And so how do we, how do we land on the good side, right? And so, again, it's one of those core values that shaped who we are. And I would say if you talk to people in the industry, they would say, you know, maybe they might say tech's good. They might say text bad. They might, there's a lot of things people might say about us, might say about me. But I, I would bet dollars to donuts that they would all say, uh, "Really fantastic organization with integrity, doing their best to take care of people." And and that I would say that's probably again, it's a core value. It's it what drives us all. You don't work for us if you don't believe in that. <laughs> that's a it's a good culture to have. Uh, we yeah, well, I hope so. I mean, that's what we're working towards.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, personal experience. Like I've worked in businesses where it's just. Every man for himself. And <laughs> you don't want that. Like, it's so disheartening as an employee to just be stuck in that kind of culture.
1: Right. Who brought sausage? It's in the fridge. You didn't label it. I ate it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Not really. We don't do that in COVID anymore. You don't steal other people's mm. food from the refrigerator.
0: Yeah. Everything
1: is suddenly more expensive. To wow. Pay for lunch. Oh, goodness. Goodness, goodness. So that's that's so you know my background is programming and honestly I think the reason I brought up the art the psychology and sort of the programming piece because I think fundamentally it's those pieces sort of working in concert with each other that kind of formed who who I am and sort of in starting a business right there's the creative side the uh, that's where my energy comes from is creating right like it's yeah it's it's that energy there but Again, it's also sort of observing human behaviors and patterns. go, like, okay, we are creatures of habit. So if we, if we hit people at that time, that's going to... So, so I would say that's part of sort of the product design. And then, and then the third piece is is just the technical chops to sort of get us to the place of proof of concept. So what does the technology do? Well, so we've got... So our flagship product is Send Time Optimization. And where we really focused early on we, we kind of made a bet on security, digital security, security by design. And so when you do that, when you say security by design, that means that you don't have to sort of, Oh crap, there's this new regulation called GDPR. I need to back back in all of my stuff. So now I'm encrypting or pseudo anonymizing what we considered personally identifiable information. We don't have to do that because it's already done. Right. We started from that perspective to saying we need to protect consumer data. Now, What that means is you have a file of a million subscribers that you're sending emails to, right? So we would say, okay, you know, Paul opens his email at 10 a.m. where Jacques opens his at 2 p.m. So we would each get our email at the appropriate time. What makes our stuff magic is we've sort of de-identified each individual to create this bigger pool of data that would inform the algorithm that would say, your two o'clock delivery time is based off of 10 different brands. Now I can't tell you who those brands are that are contributing. I can only say Chalk opens his email at 10 and we've had some pretty spectacular results, right? We've had things where folks are like, we paid for send time optimization off of one deployment for the entire year. Man, that's, that's magic, right? But you're also dealing with human behavior. And although we're creatures of habit, we're also, Creatures of choice. And so it's not always magic, right? And so there's a little bit of like, you know, let's, let's dig in and really figure out what's going on. So that's, that's our flagship product that has allowed us to, our our data pool is about just under 500 million subscribers who are active on at about sort of 2000 engagements each. Okay. So that's, that's a lot of data on it. Yeah,
0: it's pretty sizable.
1: Now, there's, there's folks that you know are outside of that 500 million that has substantially less data. Okay, right? What right now we match at about 85%. So if you were to bring a list, we can say, here's activity on 85% of your subscribers. Well, what we've discovered is those same insights, like here's the best time to send, apply in a lot of different ways. How often should I email this person, right? Or, or what's their propensity to open if they're emailed more? That might be a better way to phrase yep. it. You know, there's a lot of different things. So, so we're kind of looking into almost data science as a service a little bit, that idea that like, there's a lot of standard questions that people are asking that we, we can have additional insights that you can have when you have that level of data to to drive that aggregate. So like one of the questions we're answering is show me the people who are engaging with me, but not engaging with anyone else. Show me the people that are engaging with other brands, but not engaging with me. Now they have to be from your file. Cause again, I don't know who these people are, but uh, again, it's, it's a unique insight that I really do believe that's the next level of, of data that's going to grip our industry. Right. It's, you know, back going, going back, it started with sort of like big data. And I don't know if you remember that, but I remember <laughs> oh, yeah, that buzzword. Yeah, <laughs> we've got big data, it's amazing, right? And it was, right? It was cool. It was this idea, we've got, we can we put so much data into a database, you don't even know. And then somebody at some point was like, okay, well, but what are we going to do with all that data? And people were like, well, shit. <laughs>
0: yeah. I, did, I see that every day still, like everyone collects data, everyone collects data, and no one knows what to do with the data. Or they've collected the wrong data and it's fucking useless. It's like you see that everywhere. Or they've collected it and it's in data warehouse somewhere, but no one else in the business knows about
1: it. Let me show you how much I'm paying for my data warehouse. Yeah. Cool. Nice job. Yeah. Well, that, that brings up that next question, which was actionability, right? How do we go from I have a lot to now I can do something with it, right? Yeah. And, man, there are so many incredible you know, from the nerd side of things, cool problems to solve, right? I mean, when you're talking about two and a half billion sort of profiles have gone through our whole system, right? And, you know, thousands of thousands of data points hanging off of each, you have a really interesting sort of map reduce problem to solve, right? Let me reduce the overall data set down to meaningful things that I can actually do something with. And so... So there's that nerd side that says getting to actionability is not easy, but there's a there's a path. So, you know, that's that 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 piece though of we want to make it actionable, that's that sort of data science as a service. That's that list fit thing. That's that saying we've got we we're in a new spot as an industry, right? We're no longer just and I we're no longer just saying, hey, I'm sending email, click send, right? And I know we've been trying to evolve for a long, long time from just like broadcast messaging. And there's a lot of different ways that I've sort of played out, whether it is sort of now we're sending journeys and each the individual experience and, you know, all of that's terribly important. But we're also we're now sort of staring at this concept of a CDP, you know, customer yeah. data platform. Where we're like pulling in data from lots of different sources, but we're also staring at GDPR, we're staring at CCPA, we're staring at the the Texas privacy law, Washington, Colorado, uh, insert you know uh, Brazil. Everyone's got their own privacy law, so we're having to follow each individually, and so we're dialing up the stakes on what's considered secure data, right? I believe fundamentally that creates an opportunity. That creates an opportunity for for us, for Audience Point to that gap to say we can help you identify who are the right subscribers you should be emailing who are the ones that want to receive your email better right because just because someone has opted in doesn't mean they still want to receive your email right <laughs> and so i man, i'll tell you what i think that that's part of what drives me is these are new problems we've never faced before
0: so you've got this massive data set what kind of what kind of stuff is in there? What kind of I, as an email marketer, find in there that would deliver value to my email program?
1: Right. So we can't we can't serve up any raw data, and in this case, raw data would just be considered the actual event types and when when things took place, right? But we can serve up engagement or sorry aggregate data, right? According to GDPR, that allows us to serve up aggregate. So. So again, frequency, how often should you email? And again, I don't, think, I don't think this concept of one size fits all works maybe like it once did, right? Like, so what we look at, it, we'd say, okay, you've got a file of a million people. How many of those people have a propensity to open on a daily or more often basis? Okay, for those people, I would say that would be a candidate for a daily deal, more frequent sends, right? because we mo- we know that the more that you send, the more engaged subscribers are, the more that they buy, the greater the retention, fewer people fall out of the funnel. We know that, but we also know if you send people email more often than they want to receive, they get mad, they they get frustrated, they get deluged with way too much email, and they unsubscribe. Yep. So you've lost them, right? So we're constantly walking this fine line between, well, do I email more or do I email less? Well. I think the answer there is, again, is, is, is kind of the same story as sometime optimization, which is, well, let's figure out what each individual subscriber has kind of that propensity to receive, right? I, I don't want to say predict, because that's, that's a little bit presumptuous as well, right? Like, all we're saying is, man, in the past, they've opened a lot or they've clicked a lot, okay? So that's, that's a pretty good indicator they might do the same thing again. So frequency, deliverability, I mean, that's a fun one too. And I'll tell you what, I'm sure that the owners, C-suite of Gmail and Yahoo, Google and Yahoo are probably listening to your podcast. (laughs) You know what I mean? So now's my chance to rail on them and have them listen. I get really frustrated, and I know a lot of marketers do, because you've got folks like Gmail, and let's just take them, but insert sort of mailbox provider here, right? Flexing on email marketers, people who are just trying to do their job, right? Like people have opted in to say, I want to receive this content. And so they're sending out email that says, you know, buy my widget, right? And then all of a sudden, Google's like, for no reason we're going to tell you, we're not going to put your email in the inbox of the subscribers that have requested it. You have to guess.
0: That's, yeah, that's the big problem. They some of them have basic feedback loops, right? So did the email get delivered? Yes or no. But what they're not sharing, which is all the stuff that is valuable and interesting is how someone has interacted with that email in an inbox. Not how someone has interacted with an email because like opens and clicks, cool. But like, did someone just mark it as read? Did they delete it? All that kind of stuff.
1: But even the feedback loops, they don't give the information out that marketers need. You know what I mean? Tell me why. Why are you doing this?
0: It have to be a certain size to even get this data in the first place. Why,
1: why, why did only 5% of my e- email land in the inbox, right? Like, I only know that because my open rates went from 18% to 2%. And so now, now we're sort of expecting these same people and we're like, okay, fix your deliverability. And so now, you know, Johnny Email Marketer and Jill Email Marketer, man, their job's at stake because Google decided to flex on them. Why? Because they have a subscriber that maybe they complained, but maybe it's around engagement data. Maybe it's because some of their subscribers don't have a 20% or higher open rate at the individual level. And so they're not being inboxed. That's pretty crappy, right? Like it's one thing, if you know what the problem is, you can fix it. When you don't have a clue what the problem is, that's just like, backyard bully behavior and 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 so there's a point to this right when you can bring so 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 gmail yahoo all of these email they're sort of they're embracing artificial intelligence right they're saying let's figure out whether or not this email should land in the inbox or not based off of this set of engagement data right they're looking at sent they're looking at open they're looking at click they're looking at bounce unsubscribe why they bounce, right? There's a lot of, but it's all those same engagement events that we're sort of looking at from within audience point saying bounce unsubscribe. I mean, it's the same events, right? And we now have, though it's not the same size pool of Gmail, it's representative. And what, one of those things that I think is really cool here is we have the opportunity to be a bit of an equalizer to give marketers that tools to say, We can predict whether or not this email will land in the inbox or not. That's what's driving me. That's super cool where you can say, no, no, no. You know, of your file of a million, run it ahead of time. 36% isn't going to make it in the inbox. Okay, so now here's the solution. Here's how you fix it because right now it's a black box. And again, I I just think it's an incredibly unfair situation.
0: I guess it's the... I mean, I see it all the time on Instagram and places like that. If you don't engage with a particular personal feed for a while, they disappear from your feed and you mm-hmm. won't see them again until you go out of your way to search for them. Right. And there are a lot of people who don't understand how these things work that start saying, well, Instagram isn't showing my content to my followers. What's going on? The system's rigged and all this stuff. And it's to do with engagement.
1: And it's a black box. They don't tell you why. They just... they, they. And and I know you're a big influencer. You know what I mean? People love people love Jacques, right? And so yeah, probably
0: because I'm so negative about everything,
1: <laughs> it draws people to you. You know what I mean? When you always no no, uh, I I think it's actually your tattoos. I think that <laughs> yeah. more more like terrible
0: uh, terrible photos I post on uh, Twitter.
1: Did you know uh, you had a pretty spectacular sleeve done? And I'm getting my legs done right now. Done. What's that? I'm getting my legs done right now. Um, oh, legs, legs, legs. Like, right, yeah, right. Yeah, so
0: both legs. Last, I guess it must have been two weeks ago, I got both of the knees done, which was pretty awful.
1: I was going to say, don't.
0: <laughs> but as a as a nice side effect of working from home, I didn't really have to walk around or do anything, so.
1: Right, I mean, yeah. what what kind of pain was that, right? Getting your knees tattooed. So the,
0: the like, kneecap area, probably, like, a six. Okay, but so... The back of the knee is the bad point. The back of the well, knee I think, is... The I,
1: think, I think we need to translate this into terms that your listeners are going to understand, right? Like, you've got honeybee, you've got wasp, you've got hornet, and then I think the big one is the murder hornet, right? So the knees, so the front of the knees might be wasp, but the back you know, of the...
0: front of the knee is probably like a honeybee.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah. And the, and the back, back of
0: the knees may be murder. like a... It's a wasp or a hornet. It's pretty But awful. not murder hornet yeah not, you're not gonna die but you'll regret your decisions in life
1: have you seen these bees you know what i'm talking about the murder hornet i
0: saw something in the, i mean yes was it yesterday or the day before they were in the news because they'd tracked a nest right washington State. attaching gps right on via fishing line or something
1: some crazy crazy deal but and they backed them out if you yeah. saw the size of this hornet i mean yeah. it was like the size of my hand. Now, I do not have a large hand to begin with. It's, you know, it's tiny. It's a tiny little, tiny, tiny hand. That being said, the fact that a hornet is the size of my hand is still quite concerning. It's
0: pretty terrifying. You wouldn't want to see one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. I guess that's, uh, you do a lot of trail running, so. I do. America's wildlife is uh, pretty scary sometimes.
1: You know, So growing up in Washington state, we literally had no, no, I mean, you, you could, I guess, potentially run into a cougar, but that didn't ever happen. You could run into a bear, but again, you know, that's not, that's not real typical. And I'm pretty noisy everywhere I go and (laughs) they run away from me. Like it, it it sounds that Tennessee is a different deal. There are uh, snakes here and I hate, hate, hate snakes because they're poisonous. There's quite a few poisonous snakes here and I'll run into them on the trail.
0: You won't see them until you're right on top of them either.
1: Right, right, right. When you're on the trail, especially in the summertime when it's hot, because they're, you know, they're cold blooded and they, wanna, yeah. they want a sun and, and it's, oh crap. You know, <laughs> my son Noah, he was telling me he was running the trails and all of a sudden he sees a snake, like it's, he's about to step on it and it's coiled up, right? and he's like i jumped as high as i possibly you know when you're talking about the speed they're going <laughs> yeah yeah i don't i don't like the snakes i don't like no. them at all i also don't like spiders
0: and trails i guess if you're the first one out on the trail you're going to be running into some webs
1: yeah no that's not the ones i'm talking about we found a wolf spider in our in our garage and i didn't even know what this was either but it it came down to we may have to burn the house to the ground <laughs> It's a reasonable response. Because I mean, it, again, this is a—it's a—it's like the size of my head. I'm like, I hate, I don't. Now it turns out they're not—they're not bad. I guess they uh, kill small animals, rats, that kind of stuff. Not really, but they're—I mean, they're—they're they're terrifying.
0: So you still don't want to come face to face with one.
1: Right, right. So we survived the wolf spider attack. We did not burn the house to the ground, but it was—it was an awareness thing. <laughs>
0: So you were talking earlier about ethics and how, as a business, you want to do everything ethically. Um,
1: Uh-oh, this is about spiders, isn't it? <laughs>
0: yeah, no, like they deserve to die. It's fine. <laughs>
1: Transi- that's what we call this. That's The pros call it a transition job. Yeah. We know that's where it's coming from. No, so so integrity, doing the right thing.
0: Yeah, and how, how does that work with, I guess, the data sets you're working with? How do you ensure that privacy is is kept and that you know
1: well, people know true.
0: that you're using their data in in a good sense and it's not being abused
1: well i mean that's the tension right like we do have some investors and and with that comes a fiduciary responsibility right like uh, fiduciary responsibility the legal term not not yeah. just the ones that you and i would kick around over beers which we would also do because we're experts right yeah sense <laughs> that like Legally, we have a responsibility to return as much shareholder value back to our investors. And so when you are willing to color outside the lines, you have the ability to make a lot more money. But that's, again, where I'd say if your core value is that you're going to have integrity, that you're going to be honest, that you're going to protect consumer data. If that's part of your sort of value proposition that you make when you solicit investment, now your organization aligns with your values. The challenge is when it's in misalignment, right? It's the challenge is when, but listen, you told me you were going to make as much money as you possibly could. Yeah. Well, that's true. But, you're not right because we're, we're honoring sort of digital subscriber rights and you know, all of those things. But, but that wasn't ever promised. That wasn't, that wasn't discussed early on where, when it is from the beginning and that's what, when you start the business, having some of those things figured out ahead of time reduces the pain. And and I don't want to say there's anything magical about starting a business. There's a lot of just hard work and late nights. Right. And, And there is, but I think that's where getting a really solid advisor, advisory group, mentor, board, whatever you want to call it. And it, it varies depending on the, the circumstance or situation. They can help you sort of navigate away or around some of those grenades, right? Like if we had from the beginning said, we just want to help spammers spam as many people as we possibly can. And, I, you know, I'll say this too. There are people that come into and, and leverage our data set for less than ethical reasons. But it's one thing to say that, that happens, it's another thing to seek it out, right? Yes. And, you know, build your program around that. That's not what we do. We're, we're looking about how do we protect subscriber data? It's how do we know what, what security protocols are coming out? Like we had a, a week ago, I did a, a presentation on GDPR to our team, again, Again, right? Because because this is one of those values that we hold dear. If it wasn't GDPR, it would be something else, right? Because again, if our goal is to protect consumer data. So so you asked, how do we do it? Because there is that tension between fiduciary yeah. responsibility and that. And, and again, that's where I'd say you start with the culture. That's a big piece of it. But I also think getting those people around you that hold you accountable to those ideals, right? Because if you start and you say, this is what I'm going to do, but then all of a sudden you start to see dollar signs and you're like, well, damn, right? Suddenly those intentions slip away. And I guess that's
0: probably the Facebook problem, to be generous to Facebook.
1: No, that's, that's exactly the Facebook problem. Well, I'm not sure, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not sure that Zuckerberg was all that in, full of integrity to begin oh, with. Oh, no. Maybe, maybe he was. I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe a, I would honestly... I'll say, I'll say this, a, a better metaphor would be Google, right? Because their, their story was, do no evil, right? Wasn't that? Do no evil. Yeah, what happened to that slogan? Right, weird, it disappeared, right? <laughs> so, so they, and, and I'm not here, you know, throwing rocks saying they're doing evil, but I would say the fact, we, we've already talked about it today, right? They will sell the top of the inbox to the person who's willing to spend the most money But in terms of a marketer doing all the right things, they're still going to squeeze them and say, sorry, we're not gonna do that because we want you to buy pay-per-click advertising. We want you to pay the top of the inbox, your opt-in email program. We're going to make it really, really hard for people to see the deals." I'd say that's evil, right? Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, uh, but, but that, that's one of those situations where fiduciary responsibility won over on, on integrity. Uh, You know, that. I hope we never go down that path. Again, I haven't gotten to that place yet where we're <laughs> You've
0: not had that proposal yet. <laughs>
1: Sorry, where we look back where, wait, what? How much? How yeah. much? How much? Wait, what? <laughs> Although I'll tell you this too, those big decisions are a series of small decisions that are built upon each other, right? And so it's a lot harder to abandon your integrity when you have a series of small decisions that led you up to that. I mean, it's the same thing as a sales funnel, right? you're looking for a lot of small yeses to get to the big yes, right? It's just, and I would say the same thing's true here with, in terms of integrity.
0: Yeah, I think that's, it's easy to, it's never going to be that big kind of moment that just happens. It's always going to be the little steps that led you there.
1: Right. Well, I mean, just a little bit of money. Well, and, and <laughs> i also don't want to, I don't want to vilify money, right? Because that money makes the great. We all you know, need it. It's a, it's a fantastic thing can we can we make that can we benefit our investors can we benefit our employees can we can we benefit our families while also again doing the right thing i think so yeah that's why we're doing it
0: i think that's uh, probably the best approach anyone can have
1: well and you know you throw on top of it something like audience point where it's not lost on me that we are we're on the razor's edge right you know what i mean like we're we went as close to is this ethical or not in terms of identification, re-identification, personal information, right? We went as close to that as we could and that's not lost on me either. There's that tension that we have to live within and sort of make the right decision on a regular basis. And, and honestly, most email marketers that are, who are listening who are like, yeah, I've worked with Paul, they've received phone calls from me where I'm like, I think I've even talked to you about this, Jacques, where I'm like, <laughs> are we, is this, am I? are we breaking rules
0: here because i I think yeah we had a good conversation about gdpr a while ago
1: yeah because again i think that's and that's where you surround yourself with people who have similar integrity right yeah are we on the right track are we are we not what does this look like yeah so
0: with this big data set are you seeing anyone using it to do things outside of email maybe for sms maybe for push notifications for the other crm channels
1: the the uses are actually surprising and interesting we've had some financial services companies use them to say how engaged is an email is correlated to propensity to pay back loans no oh. to pay back you know in terms of financial risk this is another yeah. factor on top of credit score right so if you subscribe to a bunch of emails and don't ever open don't ever click are you a good risk <laughs> i don't know right <laughs> yeah. really cool Really cool question to ask. I, I, I had not thought about that. Uh, so those types of things, we've had a couple of those come in where I'm thinking that's a, that's a really interesting model, right? Where you use that data to inform other, other aspects of your business. I think, I, uh, I think that in order to inform SMS, text, that kind of stuff, you really do need that activity data I mean, yeah. there, there are some correlations, just like early on there was correlation between social data and, and email data, right? But I, I do believe that you would need SMS data. Now, it's interesting. We all have our phones at our hip now, and I very much operate differently on my phone in terms of email than I do text. What I mean is when I sit down at my computer, I'll write a long form email, right? When I sit down to my phone and I get an email, I will reply and it'll be much more terse, shorter. It will be much, more, it will reflect what you might see in terms of form factor from a yeah short form message. And I think there's more and more people that are using their phones as their email client. So I'd be curious. I bet there is a bit more of a correlation now than there used to be because of the advent of phones. I bet I bet that's true. It'd be Maybe that'll be our next trial.
0: Yeah. What's the most interesting thing you've seen in your data set? Like what's the most surprising thing maybe?
1: The amount of bots that are kicking around. That's, I mean, we've talked about bots forever, but like this morning, one of the fires that we had was we had a a brand wanting to to improve deliverability on, on a given file. So what they did is they ranked everything by... Our, our engagement score, highest to lowest. And they, of their file of 100,000 that they ran, they took the top thousand and sent it. And it was really interesting. They were like, you know, when we send this normally, we see about a 7% open rate. But when we sent this file, we saw less than a 1% open rate. How is that even possible, right? So I dug into the data, looked up, looked up the fingerprints on the email address to figure out what we're dealing with and looked at the the raw data. It was really interesting. These are brands that would have, or subscribers that would have, like an open every four or five days. Yeah. But they would have forty or fifty clicks in the period of less than ten seconds across multiple brands. You know what I mean? I'm like, that doesn't that doesn't resonate, right? That doesn't make sense. The only way that that works is someone has pulled the email like harvested the links, and it was clicking those links programmatically to see where they go, right? And these aren't like seedlist at seedlist.com. This is email address at gmail.com, right? And it's like, okay, so, yeah. If you take the top 1,000 out of a 100,000 subscriber file, there's a lot of bot activity in there,
0: a lot. Is it the Cisco Talos website that has... The show's daily global spam volumes, and I think of two hundred billion emails sent on a daily basis. Ten percent is legitimate mail. Right. Well, it's like outgoing spam. It's not bot activity in terms of receiving legitimate mail. Right.
1: Well, when you when you start as an email marketer, and you're like, I'm being evaluated. My KPIs, right? Historically, traditionally, they've been open rate, click rate. Right. Like that was the easiest way, easiest way to say, okay, you know, I'm doing good as an email marketer. Or I'm doing not good. Right. Like that's, that was the scale was what do your KPIs look like? You were able to drive opens up by 20%. Absolutely. Fantastic. Right. drive clicks up, you handed it off to the web team. What do you have to worry about? when you, when you consider, you know, how many, how many, first off, how many subscribers have their images turned off? Right? So we know that, right? So we know that that's already not a super reliable metric. When you throw on top of that sort of caching of images, preloading images through Gmails and Yahoo's where what they'll do is they'll take on the really reliable, trustworthy brands. This is will preload everything and you'll get one open off the email, off the, off that pixel. And so now you're, so now, you know, is, is, open rate a KPI that you can rely on? Probably not, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, which way is the wind blowing? Uh, for people listening, I just licked my finger. Hopefully, <laughs> I don't have COVID on it, right? But, you know, it's a, it's a pretty good indicator of which way is the wind blowing. Um, click rates, when you throw all of the additional, I mean, when, when you say a thousand out of a hundred thousand sort of represent bot activity, and, and I don't know that they all do. I didn't go through all thousand. Sort of deep dive. I, I don't have the time to pull that off yeah. today. But when you think there's that much bot activity, how much noise are we dropping into these decision funnels, right? Because it's not just like, hey, I move people down the funnel. You're making decisions about these subscribers and about your business based upon metrics that have a lot of extra noise in them. And that's that, that's to me, is, is a bit disheartening and a bit challenging, right? So, so uh, okay, we've identified this problem now. So then the next step is how do we sort of productize this into a solution that yep. folks themselves could benefit from, right? Let me run my file through audience point, through ListFit to find out how many of these people are bots. Because all they're doing is they're creating a bunch of fake opens and fake clicks that hurt. They don't help. Maybe, I mean, you might see deliverability stay up because you've got an artificial engagement rate there, but it's being individualized, right? It's no longer based on sender reputation as it once was, right? Like, oh, well, my sender reputation's good, so I can go home happy. Well, no, because, you know, those stupid AI algorithms are, <laughs> you and know, you, can, you can
0: bet that in some ways, Gmail has probably detected that certain users are bots or right. using methods to download every single copy of their email.
1: Right. And then they say, well, you should know which users are bots. That's why we put you in the spam folder. Now, come on. I was talking to a spam
0: researcher, an ad fraud researcher, sorry, a few days ago. And what he was saying was really interesting in terms of people will build bots to create fake audiences, high mm-hmm. value audiences. So for example, doctors, Yeah. they'll, Engage in ways that a doctor might engage online, and then they'll visit spam websites to collect ad revenue from advertisers. How dark is that? Right. So are these things linked? I don't know, but it's pretty interesting to think how potentially they could be.
1: How much? How much? I mean, you you went to the same. South by Southwest conferences I've been to, right? I mean, and so, <laughs> I mean, I remember early on social companies who were sort of showing intent, right? Like on Twitter, like, hey, you've got happy or sad or funny, yeah. you know, responses or whatever. And how, like, Twitter is a bit of a wasteland, right? I mean, there we've got sort of, we've got email Twitter, which is an island into itself <laughs> where, oh, hilarious, Jacques. Good one, right?
0: Yeah, everyone is lovely.
1: (laughs) Right, here's a picture of a dog doing a cartwheel, right? (laughs) But like beyond that, there's so many just bots. Now uh, granted, our political climate is not helping, right? And so, but but when you figure that there's so many people that are, you know, like how, how much policy is being set based off of intent seen off of Twitter and how much of those tweets or profiles aren't real. You know, this is, this is concerning. Yeah. Let's And, and you know, you and I could sit down and be like, bot, bot, not bot, not bot. Right. And oftentimes it's the profile, how many times they interact all that. But that type of service that says this is, or this is not has huge value. And I think, I think applies to email as well.
0: Do you think we'll see some kind of requirement to prove that you're a human to use some of these online services? Ooh,
1: me likey the question. <laughs> I don't know. I know that there's been some talk of sort of moving, you know, within, within Twitter, and we can keep on that one because it is what it is. You know, you have sort of verified accounts, right? Yeah. And, and you have to verify or a verified account is a little more believable than an unverified account. Now you and I can't get a verified account. Cause I mean, you could, because you have this Sweet, awesome podcast, where you know here I am just you know just a guy in Tennessee who trails runs to avoid snakes, <laughs> but so you would have the verified account, and I wouldn't right, but you know uh, there's been some talk of should should everyone have a verified account so i'd ask, is anonymity a right? you know what I mean so yeah. so freedom of speech is one thing: is it Is it is also is it freedom of speech and anonymity also a right? I don't I don't know, right? And and that's the underlying again, that's the underlying tension. And they'll
0: assume that freedom of speech applies to non-humans,
1: bots. Right, right. Well, and so I mean I don't know about you. I have my Twitter listening account as well, right? The one that I I follow all the people I don't really want people to know that I follow. You know, because I don't want to. I don't and how active am I on that not super active I might comment and be like you're so dumb (laughs) I'm not I'm not the one driving any conversations right all favorite things but what I found was when I was doing that off of my regular Shriner P account people were people would like my my father-in-law called me he's like um hey uh I wanted to talk to you about your beliefs. Uh, I think I think I, I think I can clarify some things about what you're believing wrong politically. And I was like, "Oh my lord, I
0: don't <laughs> let's right? not go. Let's not have that conversation.
1: <laughs> right? It's not gonna happen." <laughs> uh, but but the question is, is anonymity both as a, a person, but also as a bot, like is that a is that a fundamental right? Should everything be verified? Should it not? I actually, I think we'd probably be a better world if everyone had to verify.
0: But there, An interesting take I saw was people should pay a minimum amount for access. So like five bucks a year or, you know, whatever. And that at least would, elim- well, I mean, 20,000 bots for a, whatever organization is not really that expensive. Right. But at least kind of eliminate some of the, some of the noise.
1: But if we had to verify, right? If we have to verify off a postal address or some sort of unique identifier, right? Now there's consequences. There's consequences yeah. to being a keyboard commando and and saying a bunch of stuff, right? Like in, and that concept of doxing, right? Is anonymity an underlying right? I don't I don't know the answer to that, but I, I that's that's the basis of what we're trying to do with GDPR, right? Is yeah. to identify is the anonymity or, Right. I don't. I don't
0: know. I know it's all quite challenging because there's many good arguments to be made on both sides. I know Um, it's one of those things where, you know, as an individual, I like being anonymous online in a number of circumstances. But I also, when talking politics or when talking online, it's nice for people to know that I am who I say
1: I am. Right. Um, So, I mean, we're not gonna with technology. We're not gonna get rid of those. Service. the the cost
0: of computing has dropped so much in the last decade two decades whatever
1: but the idea that you had a more formal network and i don't mean twitter insert any network here right where no everyone to participate you have to verify who you are i i don't see that being a bad thing you know what i mean right now i think we're trying to do two things through a single like, all I want to do is share memes of, of bears yeah. eating picnic baskets. right? That's all I really want to do.
0: <laughs> and giant spiders. Right, right. Oh. <laughs> it's been a really great conversation. It's been really nice speaking with you again.
1: As, absolutely. Thank and you
0: so much for your time.
1: One of the challenges with COVID, the internationalization of our world, with, you know, so we're working from home. I've got five kids. You saw one walk through. She's the artist in the bunch. Yes yeah, oh, you need one nice. Yeah, came home and she had a blender out and she had it <laughs> filled with paper and water. It's like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm making watercolor paper. <laughs> I don't think you can do that. I don't think that's a thing. Right. So we're all working from home, kids running through and dogs and everyone's crazy. Right. And we no longer have this. This is my sense of my office. It's like, this is my bedroom and my, the color is yellow and I'm sorry if you want to judge me. Right. Like (laughs) we're all stuck here, but we're also seeing sort of the power of communication through things like Slack and zoom and all these other things where you and I can connect and be friends internationally. Yeah. We don't meet each other at conferences. We don't do any of this. And so these kinds of like let's just let's just talk about whatever for a bit and see where it goes.
0: Yeah. I guess so you've been doing that a lot recently as well with your podcasts.
1: I have. And and you know, it started with just kind of the idea of like let's let's connect. Let's provide, you know, at first it was like everyone's stuck at home, they're not gonna have anything to watch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. They want to watch us. Uh, but, you know, it, it grew from that into, like, there's lots of people wanting to connect. And uh, that's been a cool thing in sort of being able to pull people from multiple walks of life. That's yeah. Fun. It's one thing I found is that
0: it's just a nice way to have a conversation that I wouldn't normally have. And it's a way to hear someone's story that I wouldn't normally hear. Right, right,
1: right, right. Um, so well, for they- very
0: selfish reasons, it's great.
1: No, no, no. Well, that's why we all do this for Yeah.: show. Thank you for putting this together. I do appreciate
0: yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, no. Thank you so much for agreeing like that.
1: Again, you're an easy yes, man. Anything you <laughs> need. I think you know that.
0: <laughs> thank you.
1: <laughs> and then when, you know, these travel bans end and the Americans are allowed to leave our rock or our island and we're at a conference, we'll share oh, that We need that beer.
0: We need that beer. Be thank you very much.
1: Uh, Jock, appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's been great. Yeah, you bet. Be well. Cheers. Bye.